blue skies cool. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust, like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia, as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast. Or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void and talking to a soggy guy desperate to do some line sets. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? 
Kia ora, guys. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, my name's Hayden. I am, I guess loosely, I am now the head of the event and athlete sponsorship program at Icarus NZ Aerosports. Uh, personally, I'm Hayden Galvin. I've been skydiving for 17 years, starting in Australia, and, and now I'm in New Zealand just across the ditch. So, yeah. Dude, that's a, that's a pretty fucking cool gig, really. You're the one that gets to go find all the badasses and make them do cool shit. Well, luckily, a lot of them come to me, but we do headhunt a few of them for sure. Yeah, yeah. But and then also the events as well. You know, like we get to we get to spruce up the events and really get those things popping and making fuckier moments as well. So, um, no, it's a it's a good gig. Well, see, that's the thing too. That's probably the funnest part about uh, um, doing the podcast with NZ for me is what better. I mean, company with fuck yeah as your logo. That's, <laughs> that's the logo. That's the like, don't fuck up, make lots of, you know, try and make lots of money and don't kill anyone. Yeah, that, man. That, that suits me so fucking well because I can't watch my mouth even in church. So it's like absolutely perfect. And so I'd imagine that the events that you get to do and organize and the way you get to think about those things is a lot more fun than if you're having to try and um, appeal to the mom and dad set, so to speak. Well, I, I definitely have to pinch myself now. And then I, uh, I rocked up to my first day work in a suit and tie, but that was really just taking the piss. <laughs> and then, uh, which I own, it was good. I think everyone else like, what are you doing? This is Icarus. Uh, but man, I've been with Icarus now for close to 12 years. I've been sponsored by Icarus. Jaro headhunted me back in the day when I was doing stupid stuff with, uh, with wingsuits and really small cross brace, you know, canopies when they first came out, stuff like that. So I was doing that back in the day, and I think Jairo just said, hey, this is this is the guy we want. I think at one stage he gave me a, 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 a Petra with a with a massive wingsuit. We thought, how does this go, you know, 25 jumps later? I ended up chopping it. I think. But, uh, yeah, for sure, like this is the company that I've, I've been a part of and family for a long time, you know, so. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Well, now I'm going to, I'm going to jump you all the way to the back in the beginning of how you got started. Um, you're from Australia originally. Yeah. I am. Yeah. So I'm from the East coast of Australia down in uh, Coffs Harbor, which is just below Byron Bay, Australia. I've yeah, fucking weird. been through Coffs Harbor. I have my buddy, Derek Massey almost killed himself on that uh, slide that goes the concrete slide that you ride the little card. Oh, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. The toboggan, their version of a toboggan like they've got over here. Well, if you come over to New Zealand down in, um, uh, not Wanaka in Rotorua, they've got one that's even crazier again. So really, if you, really want, if you want to do the job properly, come to Rotorua. Yeah. yeah he, he almost killed himself. I've got great photos <laughs> of it. Yeah. Oh, it was... yeah I did that shut down now that loose. It was down where the big banana is. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I drove through there and the only reason that I knew the name of the place is because a buddy of mine that did swoop competitions for quite a while named Brad Jones uh, is from Coffs Harbor. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. And actually, uh, Max Mano, our Red Bull pilot, uh, he actually started skydiving down in Coffs Harbor as well. So there's no a few claims of fame down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My twin brother and I, we were almost... We're the first twins born in Coss Harbor. So, yeah, everything's happening down there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very cool. So... Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously being born in Australia, everything's extreme because everything's trying to fucking kill you. But how did you get started off in anything extreme sports wise? Well, or- you, don't, you don't know that everything's extreme. When you start traveling overseas and you start hanging out with other people in the countries, then you start realizing, oh, hang on, I might have a screw, a few screws loose. You know, <laughs> like it, it comes apparent when you start traveling a fair bit. But um, no, I mean, the Australian side of things, you know, normal, normal childhood. You know, we, we say in Australia that if you're south of Cairns, 
you really got to go looking for trouble. But if you're north of Cairns, trouble comes looking for you. So, uh, so, so you just got to know where you are about in Australia to how to deal with the danger, I guess, and that. But um, no, and my skydiving, when I first started skydiving, it's exactly the same Wild West. Like I started at a small drop zone out the back of Gatton, out the back of Brisbane, where the actual owner, I think, he went to jail for a couple of months for fraud and a few other things, but um, it was the Wilds West. Like we were jumping next military gear. I saw more two outs at that drop zone than I have ever in my entire life. It was old school static. Oh man. So you definitely had the whole package of, uh, yeah. That's pretty fucking epic. Well, now was, was skydiving your first real extreme thing or is this, you know, you've always, I mean, yeah, no, it was actually rock climbing. No, I started rock climbing. So oh, I started nice. skydiving to get into base jumping. So I, uh, I, back in the day when there were no mentors and stuff, I oh, sorry, no courses, um, you'd have to find a mentor in Australia and very, you know, highly illegal. I got arrested on my eighth base jump when I, uh, when I first got into it. I got arrested on the Gold Coast way before Dukes or any of those crew got arrested. And, uh, and so I got into skydiving uh, too because I knew, well, I found out that you needed to have a minimum of 200 skydives before a mentor would look at you. Right. So, uh, so I went rock climbing, saw some people base jump off a cliff out back of Australia using old gear and their own modified pilot shoots that they couldn't make round ones. So they oscillated because they were square because we didn't know how to make round pilot shoots and stuff like this. We knew they needed to be bigger, but we didn't know actually how to make them round at the same time. Um, and I thought, what the fuck is that? And I'm like, it's base jumping and then found out I needed a mentor. So then started down that uh, track of base jumping. So really got heavily into base jumping for a good, you know, good 10 years and then got back into skydiving and coaching and all that kind of stuff as well. So I've known a lot of people that have done kind of that route uh, that got into skydiving only so that they could quickly transition into base jumping. Um, I was actually, uh, um, Ammon McNeely, a guy out of, uh, um, California, uh, known as pirate uh was one of the stone monkeys out of yosemite and him and a big group uh nick martinez and ivo ninov all came over specifically to learn how to skydive only so that they could go base jump um and a lot of them have done the same thing they had a huge stint in base jumping and then kind of turned back towards skydiving Uh, what was it that drew you back to skydiving or pushed you out Uh... of base jumping well, I, I, I can remember the one jump. It was actually one skydive. I'd come back from Switzerland um, and I was like, that's it. I'm quitting ba- I'm quitting skydiving. I'm just going to spend all my money on base jumping, which is a lot cheaper than skydiving because, you know, sure. skydiving is expensive. And uh, although base jumping is even more expensive when you add partying and everything else into it as well. So it, it kind of yeah. ends out even. Yeah. And uh, I came back from Switzerland and I was, uh, that was me. I was, uh, I was like, that's it. I'm going to be base jump. I love it. And I was at Equinox, which is a big skydiving festival. We had it to Goolawa drop zone just out, just out of Brisbane there. It was like Australia's biggest event. And there was uh, uh, Giola, I think Giola, or it was her husband at the time, the Atmanorti specialist. Um, Mark I know who you're Mark, talking about. Mark, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was there and he was leading a dual plane um, 32 or 34-way Atmanorti. Just to, okay, for all those young kids, Atmanorti is what we call tracking or angling or tracing or whatever your kids want to call it these days. Right. Yeah, 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 aeronautical Atmanorti. And uh, I remember just being above him and feeling all these shadows above me and around me and just knowing that I was a part of this one big skydive and everyone working together towards this common goal. And just the feeling that that gave me from that one skydive, and I just thought, oh, I can't stop this. So I love skydiving. And at that stage, I tried to get into wingsuiting heavily, uh, a lot of skydiving with wingsuiting so I could base jump and jump off cliffs. And then I had a few 
uh, uh, like Gyro and a couple of other product uh, product people. Like uh, it was Robbie Picnic from uh, Phoenix Fly and stuff like that. And they're like, hey, hey, listen, how about you travel around and teach people to fly our suits and and go to boogies for a living? So I did that for six years. So that doesn't sound like a bad fucking gig. Oh, fuck. Like it started started off. My parents would drop me off the airport to go to an event all proud and shit. And then when they picked me up, I'd just get in the car and get into fetal position. And they'll be like, we we don't know if we like this. Um, So after about the 10th time of doing that, they're like, you know what? We're just not going to pick you up from the airport. We'll see in a few days when you've recovered, you know, so so they get me away from the airport. That's the perfect uh, parent mentality is I hate what's going on. So I'm just going to turn my back and pretend I don't see it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, but they love the newspaper articles and all that kind of stuff. Like even the one where I got arrested base jumping coming out of court, I still find newspaper articles that my mum's hidden around the house of that one. So she mustn't be too pissed at it. So it's yeah. funny the shit that parents take pride in, right? Because I remember all kinds of shit when what? I was younger. All the stupid shit that I did that I thought was going to haunt me for the rest of my life, and I come to find out in my late forties and now my early fifties that that's They're the bragging. shit. Yeah, that's the shit my parents have been bragging about forever. Is <laughs> yeah. This dumb shit did this and he did that, and I'm wait a second. You're telling yeah. my best stories and you're making me sound well like i sound <laughs> yeah, yeah well, that's exactly it it's as i am yeah yeah exactly it i uh i my yeah speaking of my parents friends it's the same stories hey yeah so now starting out rock climbing i've done uh, um a decent amount of rock climbing and started a bunch uh a while back but rock climbing to me was always dramatically more intense and scarier consistently uh-huh. scarier than skydiving ever was um, and I'll never forget when I figured that out was the first time I did a trad route with a buddy of mine and it was starting to get pretty thin and like at the limit of my climbing. And all he said was the only way down is up and yeah. whoo, fuck me, man. When you're, that- when you're multi-pitching on a wall and you're laying down trad, like the natural protection as you go, no bolts as they go up the wall. Man, there is only one way out. Well, yeah. we, I've got a bit of a story I could tell you about my last ever climb. Please, please. So, so in that moment, and I'm glad you said trad climbing because that I'm I'm traditional. I'm tra- I'm a trad climber. I've got like thousands of dollars worth of gear that I no longer use. It's awesome. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, no, rack no, like, in the garage. <laughs> I'll do it. But it's not just mine. It's all my friends' racks as they slowly quit, <laughs> as they slowly went down. So, yeah, now I've got everyone's gear in a storage container back in Australia. It's, um, yeah. But then there's some, new, there's some new punks over here that are taking us out climbing. So it's, uh, it's, it's starting up again. Nice. But no, my, my, la- my last, I'm sure you're going to talk about accidents and maybe, you know, fuck ups and stuff like that. But of course. My, la- my last, big one that was a climbing accident was when I was in a place called the Warren Bungles in uh, out in Western Australia and I was 200 meters up on a cliff so to get into the place you've got to do a two-day hike in and then from base camp it's a two-hour hike from base camp to the base of the cliff and we were in there we were in there base jumping and and to you know scout some roots base climb and stuff like that and I said I'd already been arrested you know 10 years earlier on the Gold Coast so in Australia you get away at all costs you, you should you know even if you have to cut that canopy away and lose your canopy you get away um anyway so we're in there we're ba- we're doing all this kind of stuff anyway we're climbing this wall and we were 200 meters up so we're 200 meters up off the ground uh, which is what 600 feet you guys yeah. talk feet yeah. yeah, 600 feet up, and it was 600 feet in any direction to the ground, yeah. straight up, left, right. And I've never been so, uh, I've never felt so small. 
you know, on a wall. It was, it, was, sure. it was an amazing feeling. It was a good feeling, you know, but it was a scary one. Anyway, I pushed up. I was on the lead and I pushed up past a bit of protection. Actually, no, I was way up past my bit of protection. I thought I saw something up ahead, a, a bit of protection. So I pushed up to it and I ended up pulling a big boulder off. Oh. So I've come off with this boulder. And my last piece of protection was probably about 15 metres below me and off to the side. So I've ended up taking about a 30-metre whipper, um, hammered myself, uh, ended up breaking my ribs, punctured my lung, um, shattered both my heel bones, which are apparently oh. the hardest bone to break. They call it a drug dealer break in London because uh, apparently drug dealers try jumping out a third-storey window. So I'm like, well, I'm not a drug dealer, but that was a good piece of advice. So anyway, so... I'm, there I am on the side of the wall and we're like, well, we've got to get off. So he just starts saying chopper. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to get a chopper. I'll, I'll get myself off. Anyway, we wrapped down six abseils down, placing one piece of protection as we went. Like, I don't know how it didn't pull and we didn't die getting off the wall. And then for some reason, I chose to crawl out of the bush. So I spent, I spent three and a half days crawling on my hands and knees out of the bush. That's, that's, so just so I wouldn't get arrested. I mean, and that's 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 basically 127 hours, but you didn't have to cut your arm off. To- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, no. I well, the thing is, I had a lot of my mates in my mind. Like in Australia, it, it, it based on it's heavily legal in Australia. Like a lot of my mates have been arrested in the in uh, in the Blue Mountains and stuff like that. Sadly, we've had a, a mate or two pass away because rescuers wouldn't go in there and rescue them and stuff like that because it's illegal. Um, so I had a, a mate of mine, Jim, Jimmy Pigeon, who he crawled out of one exit point five and a half hours with a broken ankle. So he was in my mind the entire time. But um, but no, I, I, I didn't feel like it was, it, was, it was life or death. I thought I had it. The pain wasn't too bad. And I thought, you know what? I got myself in this situation. I'm going to get myself out of it. So Yeah, I mean, fair play. But uh, goddamn. I mean, I guess I have different uh, – um, when I think Australia, I have a slightly different mentality because most of the Australians that I know are super outgoing and down to have fun and doing all this great stuff. And so you would almost naturally assume that where they're from is going to be kind of a, a wide-open playground where you get to go do this kind of shit. And so I never understood – the illegality of base jumping when it's out in nature anyway, you know, like Yosemite being against a lot of base jump, but you can go climb that rock all day long and die falling off of that rock. You can free solo that rock, but if you use a parachute to get off that rock, you're going to go to jail. That doesn't make yeah. any fucking sense. So it always kind of surprised me that Australia would have such stringent laws against that, against that kind of shit. Do you know why they're so against it? No, no, and and, it, and it's governed by state to state as well. So in, in Queensland, they've got a law where you can, based up in national parks, as long as you have permission via the government or state forest, but they never give permission to do that. So sure. um, I think we've had one legal base event down in Port Macquarie, just south of Coss Harbour, um, which was kind of a display demo, um, which went off without a hitch. That was off a crane. But apart from that, no, I don't know any legal base jumping that's taken place in Australia. So. Wow. That's a shame. I mean, because there's got to be so many awesome opportunities. And I know that there's a bunch of people out there that enjoy the sport. <laughs> you say awesome, but we take half of the Europeans to our exit points and they just look at it and go, fuck that. <laughs> like, they, they're like, you know what? I'll mind the car and the dog. You go you go jump off that. And we do. And they, they land and then we go have breakfast. But they're like, no, fuck that. 
Well, you look at the European exit points or even um, you've seen uh, uh, Matt Munting and Nick Scalabrino uh, are jumping out in the Middle East and they literally built these guys a fucking diving board, a platform <laughs> off the mountain and a designated landing area to fly all these badass routes. So <laughs> it, it's no, no, with us, we, we have to get in there with this sometimes, you know, with means. But yeah, we have to get in there and cut trees down to make landing areas for sure. Australia is tight. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, and it, the exit points, it sounds like instead of dropping a rock, you lightly throw it to make sure it clears. <laughs> it was hilarious. I remember the first time I went to Norway and uh, and they said on exit six or whatever it is, you've got to be careful of a ledge that's below you and, an, and a wall to the side. Well, I looked down 700 feet below me, bigger than any exit point we have in Australia. There's a tiny little ledge. And then this wall was like kilometers off to the right hand side. I was thinking, e no, you hit that. There's something wrong. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because you say uh, um, you didn't know that you were doing extreme stuff until you started to travel. Um, that's kind of a um, an exclamation point to that statement. Because if you're going out, going wait, wait, this is what you guys are calling hardcore. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That's pretty funny. And then, get, and then we get the Russians in town, and then they take it another level. Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure to have many Russian friends and a few Russian interviews and you just sit there the entire time shaking your head going, you guys are just, I'm not sure you're human. They're amazing. I've got yeah. some amazing. They're crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no, no. I it was. It was uh, some of the the Russian swoopers that would come for competitions, and you'd watch them. You know, just bail on a, a run and and frap in, and anybody else would be in an ambulance, and they're dusting themselves off, taking a shot of vodka, and they're like, good to go. <laughs> it's it's amazing so you went from climbing hardcore and and you saw the base jumping and decided that was the transition but obviously you knew skydiving had to be that tool to get in um but you said you were jumping some sketch gear and and learning in some interesting conditions but where's the first place and the first time you started getting into skydiving proper oh oh i never got into a proper <laughs> i'm still fucking bouncing around the sides like i don't, i couldn't say proper i mean i can tell you where my first boogie was but that wasn't proper either that was a shit show oh, i gotta um, hear this oh for fuck uh, my first my first ever boogie was up at a, at a place funny enough i'm saying the story now because darwin bachelor boogie the bachelor boogie yeah. it should be on now so that's up in Darwin. If any of you know where Darwin is, it's in northern, northern Australia, like the very northern tip, okay? Very isolated. We say the people up there are as mad as cut snakes, okay? Like they are, they're next level. Up. I'm not kidding. They're, they're, they're more next level than the people from Perth. And I thought people in York were next level, but these guys are amazing. Anyway, so it was my first ever coaching event, and it was way back in the day. Um, someone pulled out a wingsuit coaching, and I put my hand up. And uh, I'd bullshitted to Tony from Tony Suits about, you know, I'm this person and you need to send me all these suits. I was paying off the suits for like years afterwards and that just bullshitting the poor bugger. I said, sorry, many years. Sorry. Sorry, Tony, you know. Anyway, so um, they fly us up to this event. So they're from Tagulawa to Mount Isa, Mount Isa up to Darwin. And if anyone knows Australia, it's a big country. Yeah. So it was eight hours to Mount Isa, then from Mount Isa up to Darwin, another eight hours. So you can imagine lots of drinking, you know, lots of, lots of, Lots of partying, you could sure. say. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. yeah. So we ended up getting up there and uh, and by the time we land, uh, there's about 200 people to meet this plane on the tarmac. I'm nervous as hell because it's my first ever event I've ever coached at. So I'm drinking a lot. Dude. You know, so we land, there's 200 people to greet us and, you know, the skydiver, you know, salute, the asses are out there mooniness as we land and stuff like of that. Course. It was amazing. 
anyway, so we, we stop and then they, they're trying to open up these doors and we don't have the jump doors on the slide door. We've only got the actual transport doors, you know, the ones open up, you know, the cargo doors. Sure. And uh, so they're trying to open up this thing and they won't open up and they're pulling the hinges off it. And I thought I'd, you know, I'd go to help. So I thought I'd just start kicking it from the inside. So I start kicking this door. Next thing, the skydiving door, the plane door just comes off. I come out up from a caravan. So, you know, a meter and a half up, boom, onto the ground, tarmac, beer bottles, piss bottles, plates, you name it, just go smashing around me. I'm like, I kind of just pick myself up on my hands. I stand up on the tarmac. These people are looking at me and I said, G'day, I'm Hayden and I'm your wingsuit coach. And these people just erupted. They're like, yes. Like they were so ecstatic that I was there to just to, to party with them for a week. It was. Oh, yeah. for fuck's sakes. I'll tell you I what. I had man. four hours of sleep in seven days at that event. It was next level. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's something that will keep me in the sport long after I'm not jumping anymore is either being a part of or hearing the stories of the shit that skydivers get up to. And it doesn't seem to change with each generation. They just find a different way to be completely out of the out of the out of their minds and off the wall, which is fucking epic, man. And the other crazy thing about that event, I think on Wednesday, they do a recovery day which I don't remember, recovery day, <laughs> whatever, recovery day. Yeah, good one. It's just we don't jump day. Right. Um, a girl got got bitten by a crocodile down the road at a waterhole. <laughs> Not she. Like, it's next level up there. Jesus yeah. Christ. Well, <laughs> uh, figures, if you're going to have some serious mayhem at any skydiving event, it's going to be on the ground, although getting eaten by a wild animal is not something that you would normally Bitten, bitten, but yeah, let's say... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm an American. That sounds like they got fucking eaten. Plenty, to me. plenty of people got eaten. Yeah. yeah, I love that you tried to just shove your way out of the aircraft with uh, out paying attention to how the door actually worked. That's a lot like the. Uh, <laughs> the oh, that's the, not my responsibility. I think. Yeah. No, of course not. Well, that's a lot like no. the Skyvan story, and I don't remember what drop zone it was, but whoever was oh, at the door, they didn't oh, know. Funny story, I was in Chicago when they bought that plane and they just figured out that was the one that had the door rip off. <laughs> I, I saw I almost I saw Rook's face when he realized that. <laughs> that is still probably one of my favorite stories. And for those that haven't heard, long story short, basically they thought the door went down instead of up and stomped on it until the wind caught it and ripped the entire Skyvan cargo door right off the back of the plane. There's video footage out there of it. I've seen, I've seen I've seen the footage of it. Yeah. And and people wonder why there's so much instruction and so many explanations in skydiving because you fucking never know what people are going to do. These are clearly people that are skydivers. They've got rigs on their back cuz they're the ones opening the door and they rip the fucking skyvan door off. I mean, holy shit. Yeah, well, it, yeah. You didn't make it idiot proof for him, did you? No. No, no. no. So you got to start to, um, in your career in the sport, traveling quite early. Yeah. Yeah, very, very early. I think my first ever boogie I went to by Equinox, um, I was coaching it straight away. So it, it, it started off pretty quickly. So I I got to travel to do a bunch of events, you know, around Australia, New Zealand, around the world pretty early on, you know, just trying to figure out my own style as well, I guess. So I, I didn't I, – personally, I didn't have – enough experience to be doing it at the time to be honest looking back now yeah sure but that yeah. seems to be i mean you're of a if you're you, you said you're how old 
40 now. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So at 40, we're, you're not quite the old generation, but you're definitely in the middle <laughs> shifting yeah. towards the, uh, shifting towards the older generation. But that kind of seems to be how 17 years ago shit got started. I mean, 25 years ago for me, I was shooting tandem videos before I legally had a B license for fuck's sake. You know, I mean, I had no business doing what I was doing uh, at the time, but it was a different era. And obviously they've gotten a lot smarter now with, you know, how many jumps you've got to have, what experience you've got to have to start doing certain things. But there was... uh, um, there was certainly a whole lot of fun to be had as a previous generation when you just kind of had to figure that shit out on your own. <laughs> I mean, it was sink or swim. Oh, for sure. I mean, he, my, my instructor would tell stories about when, you know, he'd have 50 skydives and he's made it have 56. And he'd be like, well, you're the instructor for the day because you have 56 skydives, you know? So, yeah, it, it, I mean, you go back another 40 years earlier and then, you know, you, you see oh. what those cats got up to and then another 20 years before that. Oh, my God, like... I mean, I thank God to those people for doing what they did because we've got, you know, the technology we have today, but yeah, they were loose. Oh yeah, man. We're, we're standing on the shoulders of true giants because these fucking guys were besides these days. If you think you're pioneering something these days, have a look 20 years ago, you might find that someone was doing it 20 years ago. Oh yeah. 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 And, and doing it with style and truly, insane with some of the stuff that they were doing i was lucky enough to get uh bill booth on the show um last year and uh, he was telling stories about one of the boogies that he went to that people were dropping acid into the water supply <laughs> so and this is yeah i mean holy shit or you got uh, mo valetto i was lucky enough to have on before he passed away and him telling his base jumping stories and my favorite yet was he was doing a lot of backcountry hiking to get to these exit points. Um, and he was having to, you know, carry all this camping shit in and he'd have to either leave his camping shit somewhere and then go to the exit point and go back to his camping shit or vice versa. And so he said, fuck it. And he built a base rig that held all his camping supplies and his yeah. canopy. That's, that's next level. You know, yeah. when you're taking your pots and pans on a fucking base jump with you, <laughs> you know, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, our version of innovation now is coming up with the amazing things that we can do with the tools that they provided us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. I mean, you go about the Bill Booth story. I mean, you need to speak to Roger Mulkey at Funny Farm. Like, oh, some of the stories out at Funny Farm that can't be told are uh, well, yeah, next level. So, so Funny Farm is, is uh, um, especially if, if you've not been or, or you – aren't from Australia is just got this lore about it that people don't really talk all that much about it. But then you see the videos come out. Like I had top dog was on uh, a while back and he was uh, the one this last time around that was doing the motorcycle stunts. And so you see the videos of canopies flying and, and back flipping motorcycles and planes doing a low pass all at the same time. Yes. One of the, one of the shots was a fucking accident. It was just it was just swooping through. Scotty Hisco was swooping through, and then one of the motorbike riders from uh, where were they from? From uh, Krusty's or um, uh, Nitro? Nitro just said, "Hey, do you just want to go?" And they said, "Fuck it," and they just went. So the actual shot that you see where he's swooping over the over the underneath the motorbikes, it was actually just by accident. It was one shot. Hey, fuck it. He hold my beer. I've got this, and uh, and they did it. They sent it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That makes that video so much fucking better. And it was already epic. We've got a bio coming out. Uh, not a bio, but a little bit of a thing that Scotty Hisco wrote up. 
about the jump, which is coming out from Icarus soon, it is hilarious. And it's so written in the Aussie Oco kind of accent way. You can really hear Scotty coming through it. So, Which is awesome. Um, I've always been a fan of listening to, like uh, when I would talk to Matt Munting, I'd go off about a story. And, of course, he's very Australian. And half of the words he's using, I don't understand what they mean, but I understand the feeling. Either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we make we make it up as we go. We make it up as we go. This is the true secret of an Australian. We make up words as we go because our English is not the best. And then we use kind of the Italian's hands and, and some other stuff and we point and we make and we grunt and you yep. figure it out. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've never not understood what he was what he was getting at, but if you asked me to try and recreate the story, there's no fucking way I could. But no, no, no. <laughs> but it is colour and sounds. Yeah. That was the thing about the funny farm, is it was always this thing you just kind of heard a little bit about and that it was supposed to be this off the hook boogie but you never really got a whole lot of details and and as i talk to more and more people i know why <laughs> yeah well it, it's definitely changed over the years for sure like uh the, the, the your gopros and your cameras and and uh having the internet it used to be you wouldn't be able to get the internet out there whatsoever because it's about six hours in the middle of australia it's dead sure. set in north australia you draw you turn at a corner store you could say and the corner shop is it's the post office. It's the bar. It's the it's it's everything. It's where you get everything. This tiny little little shop thing, not a right. shop, the house. And then you drive twenty two k's down this straight road, and then that's where it is. It's it's after driving six hours, so it's in the middle of nowhere. So some of the stuff they could do in the past or did do in the past was was pretty next level. But these days, and you know, GoPros kind of killed all that. Didn't it? yeah, man. That's that's been one. Um strange turn in the sport is is watching um i mean for lack of a better phrase political correctness sneak its way into skydiving and skydiving always for me was where you could go and not worry about being politically correct you could say whatever the fuck you wanted and do whatever you wanted and that's not really the case anymore no no you, you're right i mean i, I started at a place gat and drop zone you know ripcord skydivers you know word out to those people yeah um we gunged we had it. We had a a well there. There was a two meter well, and when you hit your hundred skydives, when you survived, you know, to hundred skydives, um, you got put down this well all afternoon, all night, and people sat around the top of this well and drank beer. But what they did on top of you was really up to them, you know. And you got everything thrown on you and dumped <laughs> on you. When I first landed from my first hundred skydive, I and this is going back 17, 18 years ago, I had an egg put down my pants and cracked up my ass. You know, and and that and that was welcome to skydiving. You know, and that's how it was in the in the in, back in the day. You know, people were proud to get guns. You know, it, it, be, you know, twenty years before me, if you hit a hundred skydives, you were doing well. Sure. You know, so I could see where it comes from. You know, um, but I think that was lost. I think people were maybe picking on people a little bit too much and stuff like that as well. So you kind of and you know you you get in trouble for gunging people these days. But then on that, the kid, the case of beer, the beer, yeah. You know, I think that's lost as well. You know, the the tradition of putting on a case of beer and why you put on that case of beer. Oh yeah, you know, like like and why these these junior people? I don't think it's explained to people well enough why you'd want to do that or the need to do that. You know, um, to get those old school skydivers out of their caravan to tell those stories of you know what ifs and holy shit there are wars and all this kind of stuff and and those near misses. You know, so absolutely, I think well, part of that's lost as well. That was really the biggest driving force behind starting uh, this podcast was there's 
the 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 bonfire thing has by and large kind of gone by the wayside as well uh not necessarily at all drop zones but it doesn't seem to be what it used to be um and a lot of those stories from the greats and not so greats just kind of get lost you know i mean it, they all become a, an instagram post or a facebook mention which yeah. people just slide right past and and they don't they don't they don't see the, the significance of the history and the importance and the story that goes with that you know like like I remember sitting around the fire back in two days back in two thousand only ten years ago two thousand ten and the one of the old school pilots there Roger came out with his guitar I think it was maybe six seven a.m. in the morning you know we got customers rocking up for tandems and we're still out in the pit in the landing area you know still yeah let's celebrate the end of the boogie and he come out with his um guitar and started playing all these old songs about skydivers and you know handy cam or you know handy cam killed the cameraman and and all this kind of stuff like and it's this tradition that's definitely going to be lost for sure with, it's a uh, shame with, too isn't it, it is, and it i is. i mean I, I i again with the political correct stuff it's don't get me wrong. I get it. Um, especially when you're talking a general public and, and trying to make sure that you're not going over the top when it comes to customers, but with a group yeah. of skydivers, man, you should be able to just kind of let loose and be liked or disliked on your own merits. I mean, if I'm being an asshole, I appreciate someone looking me in the eyes and calling me an asshole, but let me be that asshole or vice versa, yep. you know? And I kind of, some of that I think is kind of getting lost because of, the internet and everything is on camera and every word you say, uh, you know, uh, potentially 10,000 people are hearing and it's kind of crazy. It, it is. And we, and we are mindful of that, you know, I'm doing this podcast now, although I've been drinking and stuff all day, um, mindful that people are going to be listening to this. Hey, sure. And thank you for that little boat ride you put me on all day today. That was, uh, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But here we are. So there you go. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, Funny because I've talked many times with a bunch of the guests that I've had on that this will be a dramatically different podcast when myself and the people that I talk to are not still vested in the sport. Um, as soon as my paycheck isn't drawn from skydiving or theirs, or they're not worried about this sponsorship or that or the other thing, the stories and everybody knows, you know, you can always hear that little wink. And even though this is an audio only podcast, people see your expression when you're talking and it's kind of that unsaid little nod to fuck political correctness. Everybody knows what I mean. I just can't say it anymore. Um, yeah. So in that respect, it's almost kind of fun because you do have to, learn the art of double speak a little bit and, and not quite saying what you really mean. hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Take a moment. Hey? Yeah. So now you got heavily into wingsuiting yep. and you're traveling all around the place wingsuiting um, and the canopy stuff um, with getting into NZ Aerosports. How did you initially get sponsored by them? How did that um, happen? It just, it, I don't really know. Cause I was, I was, drinking, I was drinking a lot, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of partying, but I remember I was at a conference down in Sydney and, uh, an AGM annual general meeting here in, in all there in Australia. Sorry, I'm in New Zealand. And, uh, and I went up to what was called room 1408, 1408. Okay. Now, if anyone has ever been to an Icarus party, you know, they're pretty famous for many reasons. And I was trying to think about my conferences stories like the one where michael vaughn was hiking up the side of the building at one stage trying to get into the party you know or all the time we stole a penguin and we got locked out of SeaWorld. that was another one yeah but wait 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 
Oh, no, I know. And I found out the other night I got blamed for stealing the penguin. I'm like, I had nothing to do with stealing the penguin and the $20,000 worth of debt that Icarus got dealt with. I just carried the beer into the hotel room. Okay. A, a real penguin, a live penguin. There may have been some partying with a live penguin in a, in a bathtub, <laughs> in, a, in a penthouse apartment that Icarus was hosting a party at SeaWorld. Yes, there might have been. And Lucy and Gyro are on life bands from SeaWorld because of it. But. I'll let you tell that them tell that story. Actually, I sent the link to Lucy. She might make a little pop in soon. We'll see how we go. Oh, that would yeah. be epic. I'm actually supposed to sit down and have a chat with her regardless. But I know, I would I like know. To- Man, she's just nervous. Like none of us at Icarus here, we like to talk on camera and stuff like that. We usually let our party and our canopies do the talking, but you know. Oh, fair enough. Fair. You know, it's kind of yeah. funny. I've had so many people that um, in a normal skydiving situation, a normal social skydiving situation are just loving it and having a blast and they're the life of the party. And as soon as you sit them down and say, we're going to talk and record this shit, they're like, um, I don't know how I feel about that. And it's very strange because as you see now, this is just a, it's a bonfire session, you know, it's just a, yeah. a shit suit and session. And hopefully the people that are listening get to pick up a little tidbit here and there, or hear a funny story. I'm, I'm glad you said that because my job at the moment is to reach out to all the athletes and just get to know them. That's what nice. I'm trying to do. I'm funny. And I'm saying, Hey, listen, do you want to have a zoom meeting all this kind of stuff? And they're freaking out like, Oh my God. You know, it's like, come on, this is fucking Icarus. Like, yeah. What, 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 you know, I just want to hear what you've been up to. Yeah. But no, the, go back to your first question well, or the question about the sponsorship. Um, when I first came with Icarus, I mean, I was always talking with them and stuff like that, but I remember this one party particularly where it was at a conference room 1408. I got led into this room on party night. Sounds like a, you know, a, a scary story, but I got led into the, into the king size bedroom and there on the king bed was laid out was my 5D wingsuiting logoed canopy. JVX, brand new. Oh. They spent days hand sewing this fringing logo. If you, if anyone has seen the five five D wingsuiting, that was the wingsuit company I had. It's all like broken around the outside. It's all like jigsawed, kind of just just jagged kind of thing. So it's not an easy logo to to put on a on a canopy. But they had done that, and it was just there. And I'm like, well, I'm Icarus for life. That's me done. Yeah. Give me the tattoo. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Is I mean, it doesn't. uh, It's not just the fact that they're putting out some fucking badass nylon. It's the company and the mentality behind it, and the people behind it. Um, They're just. I mean, there's nothing negative to say. (laughs) Yes, and and back and back then, not to say that not now. You know, we're just trying to just figure some stuff out now with Icarus and 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 work through a few things. But like the R and D now, you know, it, it still is pretty strong. Um, and he's about to get ran back up again. You know, there's so much stuff that Julian and the crew want to want to get back out, get out there. They've been waiting to release. But back then, the R and D was just ripe. You know, like if you suggested something, Jaiwa would probably make it. You know, like yeah. I remember Michael Vaughan and Jules, who were Canopy crew dogs, they made a three cell canopy for them. You know, like that Michael Vaughan landed a couple of times because they figured they only need the two inside lines and the outside two, so they may as well just remove all of them, which is funny enough what Jaira said to me when I was jumping to Petra one day and I landed and I had no idea there was anything wrong with the canopy. And Attila and Julian came running up to me going, oh, you know, you've just broken a line. And, and funny enough, I'd broken an inside like C and D line, I think it was, but landed fine. And then Jaira comes up to us and says, well, why don't we just remove the one on the other side? Because obviously we don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck off gyro the bars that way okay yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean i i like his mentality <laughs> though well fuck it we're oh, I love it. I love it. 
Yeah. <laughs> you're you're still here, so fuck it. Well, I like uh, um I got Attila to tell one of his horror stories when he was doing test jumping stuff, and and uh, that's I uh, just the one with the, uh, the Clara. Yeah, yeah. I so never... I saw I saw him a week later after that, and I'm not no word of a lie when he says his leg was black and it almost got ripped off. His entire leg was black and it tried to be ripped off. By Jesus, that, that, by that's. The, that's the I, I that's one thing that's not me that's next level i don't have the stones for that kind of shit him and chris stewart and the boys uh uh-uh. oh yeah i'm chris stewart the voice the voice no the, well the voice and the boys chris stewart and those boys yeah. are fucking mental doing all chris, that chris stewart's a, he's mental he's a, he's a champion but i mean yes don't take any of his chris stewart I, man i love him but you go back to richie and attila and those days when they were first brought out petra and and then what they did like where they took her well the original ones and just just jumped and some of the stuff they did it was like oh my god that's yeah it's crazy yeah, yeah. but uh you know they say test jumping has a lifespan and not that you die doing it it's just that you um maybe you got sick and tired of scaring yourself every sure. time i guess maybe which is well, fair enough. It's there's like gotta fine. there's gotta be a there's gotta be a limit to pushing that hard i mean uh um at some point you just gotta go all right i'd like to go to bed tonight knowing that tomorrow's gonna be chill <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, not. Well, I wouldn't say sadly, but it's one of those things. Like I referenced the climbing, where you you kind of have to scare yourself just that little bit, or push yourself that little bit to get better each time. Well, with test jumping, you've kind of got to be prepared to to scare yourself that little bit with the canopy to a point, but then stay within your skill set to be able to get through it. I guess, yeah. and that's the. That's the tricky balancing act with test jumping. Well, yeah. Well, it's that defining um, you're testing a canopy to its limits and you've got to be able to make that canopy do everything that the truly talented and truly idiotic skydivers of the world will inevitably do with that canopy. And you got to know that it's going to react in a way that's going to be acceptable. Well, we all know that there's some pretty... I don't want to call them stupid, but let's call them challenged canopy pilots yeah. out there. And I can't imagine having to put myself, especially under a wing like a Petra and go, okay, if I was a moron, what would I do right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, And and then have it do, you know, because I have seen the bit of a scoop. I have seen the P2 in flight. Ooh. So that, yeah, I have seen it. Um, not that I've seen it, anything scary, but I mean, you can imagine if that canopy did, you already think it's trying to kill you. Yeah. And then it does something scary. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then to then make modifications and then for you to go ahead and try that same thing. I mean, there's definitely a screw loose. There has to be. Yeah. 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 I mean, because everything is happening, especially on something like that, so fucking fast. Oh, uh, you, and you can't press pause. It's, you have to deal with this right now. You know, you're in the yep. air. Yeah, I know. That's that's uh, um, where it was kind of funny when I switched from being a full-time jumper to being a full-time pilot. Um, my family was very relieved because they thought, oh, he's much safer being in the airplane. And of course, I didn't want to break their feelings and go, actually, a lot more <laughs> shit can go wrong with the plane. <laughs> Yeah, but, and you've got Scott. I was trying to take your plane down at the same time. And so. yeah, and they're trying to rip the tail off and they're pushing the doors out the wrong way and all that shit. But the reality of it is all these years later that if one of my engines quits, I got another one that's going to take me all the way back to the airport. Whereas if a Petra decides to spin up on you, you've got very little time between awake and asleep to deal yep. with it. 100%, and and that comes down to procedures. You know, like I I saw the boys when they were first jumping the Petras, they had different cutaway systems, like cutaway systems that were, pre- that were up 
near their risers up high, they had cutaway systems that were down near their groin just in case they were put in high-speed spins. Yep. And the terminal velocity wouldn't allow them to pull their hands up to their to their um, cutaway system. So, yep. yeah, I mean, you, you definitely modify it for sure to, to what it is. But you've, it's, it's like every time you go for that skydive when you, you've got your skyhook connected or disconnected. You know, you, you've got to assess that skydive, every skydive you're about to do and prepare for that skydive, you know, yeah, and, and test, sure. jumping, test jumping Petras, yeah, sure, you know, you're not going to go into it with a relaxed mindset as you would jump in a crossfire or something like that, but, you know, you, you mentally prepare going into it. I mean, there's no way you'd, you'd be doing testing after a big night, that's for sure. Yeah, no, 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 you you definitely want to be on top of your game. Uh, although <laughs> we, say, we say that. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we had talked to uh, a pre-podcast, uh, you went out and, and uh, we're specifically in New Zealand to start doing some work for an industry that is, well, unfortunately, kind of taking a shit right now with COVID. So what's what's going on? Because you're on a lockdown right now and you're getting flooded out like Noah. It's, honestly, it's not that bad of a story. <laughs> it, it full on. Um, well, I mean, I came to New Zealand to uh, to start a family, to be honest. I uh, I was in Chicago. I was chasing the world record, 200-way world record over there because um, I didn't get selected for the Australian tryout. So I went over there and tried to make friends with J-Russ. Eventually <laughs> did. Took me, took me about three months to make friends with J-Russ, but we, we got there in the end. Nice. And uh, so I was over there, but then met um the mother of my child stephanie and uh and we fell pregnant when we were over in chicago thought it was appendicitis at the time but it turned out (laughs) just like the movies (laughs) no you're pregnant idiot like seriously um and then because she's maldi she's kiwi um thought of the best place to raise a family and uh and new zealand was always the place that i wanted to raise a family so came here now i've got a gorgeous little two-year-old but i was lucky enough when i first came here to new zealand um, to work, this is two years ago because I've been coming here for many years coaching and stuff like that. And uh, the school here, the New Zealand Skydiving School, decided to offer me a job, which is a diploma in skydiving. So what that is is the government over here in New Zealand has started up a tertiary education for, for people to go into. They will pay the $17,000 for the whole course which is pretty cool. Yeah. And that gets you 200 skydives and also moving towards the, um, you know, getting your instructor ratings, definitely doing camera tandems and all that kind of stuff. But it gets people set up for the industry to service what we originally had was a massive market here, which was the tandem industry here in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, obviously with COVID, that's now, you know, 20, 24, 27% of New Zealand's revenue was tourism. Yeah. And you may as well just wipe that off the map. So sadly, we had to shut down our sister drop zone down in Topol, which was pretty, you know, sad that it had been running for 30 years. Yeah. Um, what started with four drop zones down there in Topol, they're now down to one um, with the Fennels running it down there, which is a great family running it. So it's good they're doing that. Um, lots of, it's funny how these big drop zones are now looking at sports jumpers and the old fun jumper. Yeah, yep. whereas in the past they were very tandem revenue orientated. Now they're uh, looking at us fun jumpers a little bit different now, aren't they? Yeah. So which is good to see. But no, I, I worked at the school there for two years. Did my two years stint then. That was amazing. Um, we talk about te- like I was teaching AF, you know, and I'd never done AF before, but um, it was an amazing experience. Like I, I got to do my emergency procedures for two weeks at a time, four times a year. So I got to teach these students their emergency procedures, you know, intensively all, all the time, you know. So my emergency procedures are now, um, I think, are a lot better. I changed it from two hand to one hand for my own reasons, okay. Um, it was funny actually learning or joining the school and actually realising what little I knew, 
about mm. the sport that I've been doing for 17 years at that stage. And then after finishing there and coming over to Icarus and now seeing how canopies are made and line sets and stuff like that and the materials, it's all another realm of what I didn't know before I even started. You know, sure. So um, it's scary, but at the same time, exciting, you know, the next chapter upskilling while in COVID, all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely a new challenge. And I, I, uh, I feel you in regard to how you end up finding out just how little you knew uh, on the mm-hmm. journey. I had started flying um, out of a pack 750 and then moved up to a twin otter. And, and as skydiving will the go. New Zealand plant, the New Zealand uh, plant. Um, yeah, the Pac-750 was my it's first single-engine turbine. Fucking badass plane. I love that plane. <laughs> the worst skydiving plane ever. You guys don't know what the hell you're talking about. It's so much okay. fucking fun to fly. <laughs> so, oh, wait, no, 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 no. I don't take that away from me. Our pilots have a lot of fun yeah. getting in trouble. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, I won't even tell those stories again. But um, yeah. I enjoyed the pack for doing tandems as well. I like doing a tandem out of it because you just flop down on your butt and roll out the door. It's as stable as it gets, but for fun jumping, it's not a good plane. Um, that door is crammed. It's, it's like trying to put a, an otter How's door. Where the, where, the air, where the air sensor is where the cameraman is on the back of the door. Yeah. It's, it, it right fucks with you. Right under his armpit, you know, you yeah. get stall warm going because the cameraman's blocking the air. Yeah. Yeah. You just, told, just turn the stall horn off. That's how you do. Yeah. Yeah. But I switched from that to a twin otter and was put left seat in a twin otter by myself with honestly very little time. Um, I never should have been left seat when I was left seat, Um, but trial and error. And I learned, and then uh, I'd been flying a twin otter for about four years when I decided I was going to go give the real world a try and got a job with an airline that flew twin otters uh, and had to go through their ground school and went to the simulator for the twin otters. And as soon as I finished that course, I called all the twin otter pilots I knew and went, you're all going to fucking die. You, you need to study. Holy shit. I knew nothing about this plane how am i still alive <laughs> yeah 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 oh. horrifying like, i mean I, we uh totally off topic but we started uh we thought we'd take up kayaking one day so we started kayaking and then we're going to ocean kayaking and all this kind of stuff and and then we decided to do a course and then they're like okay so you've fallen out of your kayak in the fucking ocean get back in it and we're like and we couldn't get back in the kayak. Like we had none of this rescue equipment or the pillows that go under, blow up pillows that go under the oar and all this kind of stuff. We're like, oh, so we've literally died about 20 times up until now. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It's just you looking back going, I've had so many near death experiences that I didn't know were happening. <laughs> <laughs> just out yeah. of sheer stupidity. So yeah. as, as things stand, um, you said you're, you're gagging to go do some line sets and stuff. So obviously you're ramping up things a little bit more with NZ Aerosport since the tandem stuff has taken a shit out there. Yeah, sorry. So I, yeah, I, I left the school probably maybe five months ago. So I came on board with New Zealand uh, starting up the new kind of area, Shannon, uh, who's been doing a lot of the marketing and stuff like that. So I'm I'm helping her out with the athlete and stuff like that there. And then also I've come over to do production because my goal was that I, I well, my my main um, objective was to learn about canopy manufacturing. Mm. So I, That's I, very I, cool. I want to I I upskill. So um, I don't know many other people that would say that, but I'm, I'm li- really looking forward to going in and making some line sets. I, I really am. I like the challenge. I, I like I like using my hands. I like production work. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. 
Sure. Well, I mean, it's always being able to find some little niche in the sport and, and there's so many different directions that you can go in skydiving. I mean, it's, you could spend three lifetimes in this sport if you're willing to check out every little part of it, you know, and At least, yeah. absolutely. And rigging was something that always appealed to my meticulous nature. I just never had the time to be a rigger, but that's something that I always would have loved to have done. Uh, and you're kind of taking that direction, which is, I think it's cool as hell. It, it's amazing, and 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 thankfully, you know, uh, they've they've offered me to move into a quality control role as well. So, you know, moving into QC and stuff like that with Icarus, it's it's a matter you've got to understand all the ins and outs of how canopy manufacturing is done in order to quality control that as well. So, man, my knowledge base is just it's exploding. I, I come home and I'm, I'm I'm I am really tired from learning, but I'm excited to go back the next day. So that's yeah. key, right? I mean, it's oh, it's and then, and then you've got the Farno, the family that's there as well. Like we do shared lunches every day. Um, the other day we had a hugging session for about forty <laughs> minutes after staff meeting. I'm not kidding. One of our mates got started, and then we all just and then intermittently throughout the whole day we were just hugging in groups. It's it's an amazing. It it really is. It's it's an amazing. It's it's a growing environment. Don't get me wrong. Like there's definitely through a few growing pains um with the way in which we've we've advanced uh, very fast and that kind of stuff but really we're still you know a nana and pop company that are you know just out there to take over well they went from when they first hit my radar being that obscure little canopy manufacturer that was putting out a pretty cool wing uh to going blow for blow with pd the bar none the biggest canopy manufacturer out there when i started you jumped to pd that was it uh and now it's it's are you PD or Icarus? And it's side by side anymore, which is super cool to see because they went from being the underdog to being one of the big boys. Well, I mean, it was sad that Jairo didn't see it, but I mean, in South Africa, I think there was a hundred competitors in the swoop and 54 of them were under Icarus canopies. Right. I like, mean, how that's epic. That's man. From, from where it started, like if you, if you were here for the humble beginnings of where, you know, Jairo and, and the people involved and, and just the luck that was involved, you know, preparation, but also luck that was involved to get us to where we are now. It's, it's an awesome journey. It really is. Well, and it also is a, is a testament to how powerful the small community of skydiving is because word gets out. You know, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to do a season uh, in New Zealand, uh, jumping uh, on the beach uh, in both in Fagare and down in Pahia. Uh, Island. Yeah, it was. Oh man! Yeah. So we, we just had a boogie up there. We just had a skydiving event up in Bay of Islands. Did you? Yeah. Oh, dude! Yeah. Man, oh man! Landed on that beach because I do tandems out there all day long, and and it just had a pair of board shorts and barefoot, and land on the beach, go dive in the water, walk into the supermarket, stop by the bottle shop, and get tanked. And oh, what a spot, man! What a spot! But that's the first place I ever jumped, uh, um, and an NZ canopy, and then. The friends that I made there had been on both islands bouncing all over the place. And now I know those same friends to be literally all around the world, you know, jumping everywhere. So it's the skydiving community and especially how popular skydiving uh, was and is in New Zealand, uh, obviously with such epic places to go jump that word just spread like wildfire. And it's fantastic. Oh, it definitely. I mean, it's the extreme. It's up there with the extreme capital of the world, you know. It's New yeah. Zealand, you know. So, of course, people were chasing the summers and they were coming here with the tandems and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I mean, I don't want to say too much about what's going on down on the South Island, but there's definitely some pioneers down there doing some crazy stuff off some mountains down that way that they just don't put it out there. They're still doing their thing. They just 
that's the thing, right? Is is uh, and those are the ones that you end up respecting the most. They aren't going for the YouTube footage; they're just doing it. Yep, yep. So as we wrap things up, I want people to find out how they follow you, how they find out more about NZ, how they find out about your courses, all this stuff. How do they how do they reach Hayden? Right. Okay. Um, I don't have any courses per se, but if you come to New Zealand, I will always jump with you. Okay. Awesome. Audio, audio, audio layer, come to the factory, pick it up, and then we'll go swoop at Scott of Auckland where we have a 100 by 40 metre pond. It's the biggest one in the Southern Hemisphere, so please come over. Um, it, I'm, I'm the guy that if you are wanting to be sponsored or if you want an event sponsorship or if you want money for that event, you know, if you come up with a really crazy out there kind of way of us sponsoring your event, I'm the guy that, that you'll speak to. So so I'm taking over that marketing inbox here at, at uh, NZ Aerosports and I'm just there to reach out. So, yeah, okay. I'm there to communicate with you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guarantee you a whole lot of the people that are listening to this just picked up a pen to write down whatever fucking email address they need to because they're thinking of how they're going to get sponsored by NZ Aerosports. I get so, them. I oh, just seen the ones I had today. It was next level. But yeah, hey, get them out there. Yeah, we, we love reading them. We really do. And, you know, who knows? It's worth the shot. It's always worth the shot, right? And it also that also means that you're the guy that I'm going to have to keep talking to so that I can continue to get the NZ athletes to come on the podcast to talk shit and, and maybe let slip some of the stories nobody else has told. Oh, 100%. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Fucking epic. Dude, Hayden, I thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and avoid the, uh, the flood out there and drink a little red wine and talk some shit. Oh, thanks, Dean. Thank you very much. Yeah, this was easy. I don't know what I was nervous about. Piece of cake, right? I know. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we'll have to do it again soon. Thanks, Potter. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Yeah, mate. Bye. So, yeah, there you go. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can. Brought to you, as always, by Fuck Yeah NZ Aerosports. Brought to you also by Summit Parachute Systems with Jarrett Martin and the crew out there doing the badass uh, pilot rigs and uh, doing the badass rigging courses. As for me, the fuckingpilot.net, theprincesspilot.com gets you to all of the podcasts as well as both the books. We'll see ya.